at one point, he started off with two or three balls. And then he worked in another. 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 And you can tell, it's, it's, it wouldn't be a, a stretch to say that for him to handle nine balls is easier than for most of us to handle three. But he's still a person. How did he get to the point where he could handle nine? And I think it's especially interesting when they, when they break down the, the math on this, that each, each throw, I've always thought they had to be consistent, but each throw was different. Varying heights, varying speeds in order to keep nine balls up there. And he makes it look very easy, doesn't he? We've been talking about pressure. We've been talking about opportunity. We've been talking about taking on things for God. And we're going to look at frustration today. How many of you have ever been frustrated with life? I think we all have. How many this week? <laughs> I think we all can almost say just about every week we have hit a place of frustration. We're not trying to teach you things today to eliminate frustration from your life. Simply want to teach you why it's there. Couple of weeks, last couple of weeks, we looked at some things. First off, the difference between pressure from God to correct and pressure from the world to conform is a difference we need to learn. The pressure from God to, be, to correct us and the pressure from the world to conform us, we must learn the difference between those two things. Because we must resist one and, and yield to the other. Resist one and yield to the other. If we're not careful, we're resisting the wrong one and yielding to the wrong one. That's why it's so important we be careful about that. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, it said, But may the grace, may the, the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We looked at how God has given us things to see how we do with them. He has given us things of lesser value to see how we would do with things of greater value. The things of lesser value to God, possessions, money, stuff like that. He tests us out with this when we think those things are the greater possessions. He tests us out with those. We looked at the Word of God and we saw some things that He considers to be that of greater value. Revelation, understanding, wisdom, His gifts, His power. These are things He considers to be of greater value. Callings, people. These are the things He's entrusted with us. We looked at how we are called to be faithful with what is in others before God can give us what is our own. We gave you the challenge to treat everything given to you as if it was great. Don't take what wasn't given. Learn to follow instructions. One of the hardest things I think we ever come to in life is to learn to follow instructions and to wait. Last week, we looked at the doing, discovering, or serving. Am I doing what God wants me to do or am I just doing what I want to do? Am I discovering what God has called me to do or and then serving in that capacity? That's what God wants us to be doing. Discovering what He has called us to. In the meantime, we do whatever our hand finds to do. But in the process, we are to be discovering what has God called me to do. And then, as we find it, get in there and serve in that capacity. Serve people. 
We looked at the ten virgins and the talents. We saw that we are to prepare for what is coming, to be faithful with what has been entrusted to us, and to recognize the opportunities around us. One last thing we left you with, what was or what will be should not hinder you from operating in what is now. What was or what will be should not hinder you from operating in what is now. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you know that one of my absolute favorite heroes from the Bible we'll find over here in Judges chapter 6 with the story of Gideon. Not too many chuckles on that. I am always amazed that Gideon made it into the faith chapter in Hebrews. We look at Gideon, and if Gideon can make it into the faith chapter in Hebrews, there's hope for us. Because Gideon was, was a man of faith and power one day. One day in his entire life, he was a man of faith and power. He was not before, and he gave it up afterwards. One day, he was a man of faith and power. And in one day, he delivered Israel from the enemy. But you look at the man before, and you look at who he was afterwards. And there is hope for us. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord de delivered them into the hand of the Midian, Midian for several Excuse me, for seven years. Now, once again, understand this. The Hebrew mindset is of such that if God does not stop something, God causes it. That's their mindset on the thing. God has told us in His Word, if you do not follow after Me, My hand of protection is off of you. You wrench your rat into areas where you should not be. How many times when we were growing up did our parents tell us certain places that we were to be because they considered those places to be safe and told us certain places not to be because they consider those places to be? And we got into one of those dangerous places? What happened? And we got hurt? What, what were we going to hear? <laughs> Told you not to do that. Told you not to go there. You know, there's, I, I can't even count the numerous times that mom and dad told me not to be someplace and I didn't listen. And I got myself in trouble. And... Uh, you know, they'll, they'll attest to probably more than I remember. But I remember one particular time, you know, there was something going on. I forget what it was about trees, but for some reason I was told, don't climb the trees anymore. Well, it's really tough to tell a young boy not to climb trees anymore. So, you know, still when opportunity came, I was still found climbing the trees. Well, there was this batch of, ba of bad tr of trees out by our side of the house. And for some reason that day, I decided to climb them. And as I was climbing, I... They have never noticed this before, but at that particular time, I noticed that one of the trees was dead. It happened to be the tree I was on. <laughs> it was dead. I mean, most, most of the trees in that batch were, were alive, but this one was dead. And I was standing on a dead branch. How much strength does a dead branch have? Not a whole lot. I did not realize this soon enough. And the branch, as I was trying to move from the dead branch onto a live branch, the branch snapped and I came crashing down and landed on the ground. Well, of course, a noise like that will be heard from the inside. So my mom hollered in from the outside or hollered outside from inside. Steve, what are you doing? I hopped up. even though I was in pain. I hopped up. Nothing. <laughs> Don't go where you're not supposed to go. There's reasons <laughs> for it. But sometimes, you know, with God, we've gone places we shouldn't have gone. We knew we shouldn't have gone there. Adam and Eve, were they not supposed to go? Don't eat of the tree, and they did. And the Lord told them here, don't do certain things. Don't go after the 
foreign gods. Don't serve the Baals and the other ones. And what did they do? They did it. They went after them. So the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian for seven years. Actually, he just didn't protect them. And they couldn't stand up against their enemies anymore. And their enemies ran roughshod over them. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midian, the Midianites would come up. Also, Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. That's a pretty bad thing to, to be in. You go in there, you sow the stuff. And these folks would come in there and they'd burn it up, take it from you, destroy it, make it so there was nothing left in there. Now, this went on for seven years. After the first year, you may be able to get encouraged enough to go out there and plant again. Then they come and do it again. And then what do you do in the third year? You're going to go out and plant some more? You might be thinking, I don't know if I'm going to really do this. Maybe I'll just do it a little bit. And they came in and destroyed that. And then the fourth year. And then the fifth year. And then the sixth year. At one point, do you say it's not worth planting? But you also run into the thing that if you don't plant, you don't eat. But if you do plant, you may not eat anyway. This is a hard thing. How many of y'all can understand this can be a frustrating situation? What should we do? Should we plant? Should we not plant? We're not able to stand against the Midianites and this isn't good. Of course, the, the reason that they're in that problem, because they serve the foreign gods. They serve the Baals. Verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would destroy, the, they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. It's always easy to cry out to the Lord when you're in trouble. But what's interesting is they're crying out to the Lord while they're still serving the Baals. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So he's telling them to repent. Get it right. Stop getting frustrated at me. Putting this in your outline. Frustration comes from a dissatisfaction with the where, the what's, and the who's. Frustration comes from a dissatisfaction from the where, the what's, and the who's. We can get frustrated with where we are going. We can get frustrated with what's going on. And we can get frustrated with who we are with. How many of you have ever been frustrated with who you are with? Have the people that are around you ever driven you batty? Brought you to a place of frustration? Hey, about what's going on around you? Have things going on around you at work? In the neighborhood? In the house? Wherever it is that you're at? Have things going on around you that made you frustrated? Hey, about where you're going? Are you getting frustrated with the direction that you're heading into? Frustration comes from the dissatisfaction from the where, the what's, and the who's. Israel is dissatisfied with the Lord because he's letting this thing go on. They're dissatisfied with the Midianites because they're coming in and taking all their stuff. They're dissatisfied that they plant and they don't get to eat. So for Israel, it's a ladder too. 
that is easy to become exacerbated with how things are, but harder to see why and how to change it. Isn't that right? How much easier is it to get frustrated? How much harder is it to see how to get out of it? That's a tougher thing to do. So we got to come to Gideon, verse, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now to get a picture of what's going on here, he's in the winepress and he's threshing wheat. How many have ever seen anybody thresh wheat? How you thresh wheat is you take wheat and you throw it into the air and you let the wind take the chaff away. So that what falls is the wheat and you get rid of the chaff. He's doing this in the wine press. How much wind do you get in the wine press? <laughs> Not as much as you would get outside. So he's doing this in the wine press because if he does it outside, the Midianites might see it and take his wheat. So he's going to be coming out with a lesser product because the wheat that he's going to have left is going to have still some chaff in it. It's not going to make as good a product as not a good, make as good a bread or whatever else they're going to make from it. So he's in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Who is the angel of the Lord? Jesus. And he said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You man that is hiding from the Midianites here in the wine press. You mighty man of valor. Mighty men of valor don't hide. Right? <laughs> How many of y'all know the Lord sees some things that we don't always see? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, I always look for repeated words whenever the Lord says something. Because if the Lord repeats a word, it's important. What word is repeated? You. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What do you think he's trying to emphasize? <laughs> you. So let's go on here. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with... Oh, I don't think he heard him. The Lord says, Mighty man of valor, you. You, I am with you, you mighty man of valor. You. And he says, if the Lord is with us, he didn't say, he didn't come to him saying the Lord is with us. He said, the Lord is with you. How many times has the Lord said something to us and we repeat it back to him wrong? How many times has he taught us some things on faith and we repeat it back to him wrong? You think God has a reason to be frustrated with us? Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? We're always looking at the things that are going on. Because if the Lord is with us, these things shouldn't happen. Ever have anything happen to you that you don't think should happen because the Lord is supposed to be with you? That's where Gideon is. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? What happened to all the miracles? I hear about all the miracles. We see all the things we do reminding us about the miracles, but I don't see any miracles now. When, when frustration sets in, we feel powerless. We feel confused. And we feel unjustly treated. Now you think back to the times you've been frustrated. 
When you have felt frustration build up on the inside of you, have you felt powerless? Have you felt confused? Not sure why this is going on. Have you felt unjustly treated? When we feel powerless, confused, or unjustly treated, or a combination of them, we tend to get frustrated. Right? We can get frustrated. Because people sometimes unjustly treat us. Especially little people. Have you ever noticed that? Little people seem to really treat people unjustly. I'm talking about kids. Not short people. But, you know, little kids, I mean, they can say and do some of the most disrespectful things in the world. They can be cruel, harsh, nasty, matter of fact. <laughs> so you folks who work with kids, you can certainly say amen to this far more than I can. Because I'm not around the little children as much anymore. We have graduated from that area of our life and we have moved on into others. Gladly. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> but when frustration, when frustration sets in, we feel powerless. I don't feel I can change it. And because I don't feel I can change it, I feel I must be under this. And I, it, it, gets, it gets me frustrated, doesn't it? Gideon is in a spot where I'm threshing wheat in a wine press because I don't think I can change this situation. I don't think this is just. If the Lord is with us, this shouldn't be going on. And I'm confused. Why is it that I hear about all these miracles that have gone on, but it's not happening here? Powerless, confused, and unjustly treated. Well, he goes on. He has more things to, to say to the Lord. I don't know. If the Lord shows up with you, how many of you are not necessarily talking to him this way? He doesn't quite realize exactly who that it is, but he will soon. I put this a note in here, wrote this in afterwards. It's not in your outline. If you want to put it in your outline, you can certainly write it into yours. But frustration and discouragement is us undergoing pressure without standing firm. Frustration and discouragement is us undergoing pressure without standing firm. When I don't stand firm and I get moved by the circumstances, frustration will set in. Frustration tells us some things that are happening. Comes up to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Inside of Gideon, all you got, he just says this, and inside of Gideon, you can see the frustration well up, and you can hear it in his words. People who are frustrated cannot conceal it. You'll hear it in the words. Have you ever called a mom? She's got a couple of kids. Right at the time when they're all giving her a hard time. And what do you say when they, when they answer the phone? Oh, what's going on with you? Why? Because the words have, just, have uh, revealed, I am frustrated. Sometimes you answer the phone, hello! Well, that's a clue. Your words can, can certainly let you know. Because all that frustration is pent up on the inside and now you've got an outlet. And out comes the frustration. So he changes what the Lord said to him. But just slightly. If the Lord is with us. Now I put this question in your outline. What tells you the Lord is with you? What tells you the Lord is with you? If you ask that question to a number of different Christians, you will get different answers. One might say, when miracles and power are going on in my life. Some might say, when He speaks to me with revelation. When I feel Him. 
We have all kinds of answers for this thing, but what tells you the Lord is with you? And is that inconsistent with what the Word of God has to say? Well, see, what's the Word of God say about it? Doesn't the Word of God promise us that I will be with you all your days? So what should tell us that the Lord is with us? The fact that I'm alive. If I'm alive, the Lord is with me. If I'm dead, then I'm with Him. But if I'm alive, the Lord is with me. That's what should tell you. But of course it doesn't. How many times have you heard Christians not here, you know, other places far away? They'll tell you, well, I just don't feel that the Lord is with me today. I just haven't felt the Lord's presence. We want to take a look at Gideon's response here. We broke it down into four things. Four things that he's talking about. The question or the statement was, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? When we are frustrated, one of the big questions we always ask is, Why? Because I'm confused. I don't know. So I'm asking, Why? Why is this going on? What is the, one of the frustrations with the little kids that come into your life that are two years old? How is it that they frustrate you? Why? Why? You give them an answer. Why? Give them an answer. Why? Give them another answer. Why? Give them another answer. Why? <laughs> right? They just run after another. They don't, I, I don't think they really want the answer. They just want to keep hearing you talk or something. Why? 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 But here we go. Why then has all this happened to us? As if we have nothing to do with it. Why are you letting all these kind of things go on? Frustration, when it sets in, it moves us out of the area of faith, puts us in a whole different area, and now we're no longer able to hear the things in faith. We're frustrated, and we're always, why is this going on? This is unjust. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm confused as to why this is, this is happening. This shouldn't be going on. Now, don't get the idea that just because you're frustrated that you are wrong. I want to clear that up with you as we get here to the end. Because we can be frustrated and not necessarily be wrong. Again, we're not trying to eliminate frustration. You are going to be in frustrating situations. Today, tomorrow, sometime next week, and still be following after God. We'll show you what it'll, what it'll do for you. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles? How many times have you done this in frustration? Where is the help? Where is the revelation? Where is the miracles? Where is the healing? Where is the comfort that should come from the Holy Spirit? We ask these kind of How many have ever asked those questions of God? Why is this going on? Where is this? This is supposed to be here, but it's not. So where is it? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? See, this is the this is the pattern we go to. Why is it this way? Why is this? This should be in my life. It's not. And then we go back to this thing. Well, it happened for so-and-so. It happened for them over there. How come it happened for there? But it's not going on here. Did not the Lord deliver my brother? Did not the Lord deliver my sister? Did not the Lord deliver so-and-so? But He hasn't delivered me. That's frustration, isn't it? Y'all are quiet here. 
Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. So we first off, we look back to what God has done for other people. But now what he hasn't done for me. This is the voice of frustration. I see what you did for other people. I see how you work for people in the Bible. I see how you work for people in church. I see how you work for them. I hear the testimonies. But now, here's my situation. Anybody ever ask these questions? If not, we can all just go home now. But now, the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Oh, sure. You helped other people. You set other people free. But now, here I am under this confused, not know whatever it is we're going through. We're not too happy with it all. Why then, where are, did not, but now? Hopefully that's not the pattern of the jury. This is the tone of frustration with God, not faith in God. This is the tone of frustration with God, not faith in God. There is a huge difference in the way we speak to God when we are frustrated with Him And the way we speak to Him when we have faith in Him. It is huge. The devil, the enemy, wants to make you think that when the situations around you change, your language will change. But you've got to learn. Mm -mm. No, I've got to change this language. I've got to change this attitude. And then the things around me are going to change. God is speaking faith. Here in Judges chapter 6, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. (laughs) Again, he's seen him as a mighty man of valor. We haven't seen any evidence of it. But God sees it. Go in this might of yours. Again, what's the word here? Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. What's he repeat again? You. Go in this might of yours. He doesn't say go in this might of mine. He says go in this might of yours. Frustration comes in because we feel like we're out of control of our situation. What God is trying to say is, Gideon, you have control of this situation. Now go in this might of yours. The enemy wants to come along and convince us we cannot control what is happening to us. Because then we get frustrated and we get out of faith. Well, amen anyway. We get frustrated and we get out of faith. You've done it. I've done it. I can be in faith today and tomorrow get frustrated and get right out of it and start talking to God in a frustrated way. That doesn't move God. Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? This is five times he's repeated this word. He is trying to get something over to this guy. Gideon, it's you. Now get out there and do it. Stop looking at the Midianites as the problem. Stop looking at what's going on as the problem. And you get out there and do it. So he he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? (laughs) Let me put put this in, in our language. How can I change what's going on? How can I change what people are doing to me? How can I change it? I'm just one guy. Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. 
Isn't this the way we view ourselves so often? Sometimes we're even taught that to be humble, you've got to see yourself as nothing. Well, Gideon's done a good job of that and it's not helping him. He says, I am of the weakest clan in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. I mean, how great of a tribe is Manasseh? It's okay, but it's the older son of Joseph. The younger son was going to be greater than it. So he's looking at heritage. He's looking at, you know, that my family is not that great. And as far as my family is concerned, I'm the, we- I'm the weakest of them all. Put this in your outline. When we are in the land of frustration, faith is like another language. When we are in the land of frustration, faith is like another language. It's like somebody speaking Klingon. I said that because I figured most of you folks don't know Klingon. Some of you might know French. Some of you might know Spanish. But I'm pretty sure that there's not a soul here who knows Klingon. It actually is a language. You could actually learn it if you wanted to. But of course, we save that for special people who go to conventions and speak Klingon to each other, wearing uniforms and so forth. When we are in a land of frustration, faith is like another language. I hear the words, but it doesn't mean anything to me. I can hear what's being said, but I have no understanding to it. When you get into the land of frustration, God Himself can stand before you and speak powerful words of faith and you'll not hear it. It will go right past you. He will say things like He's saying to Gideon, Mighty man of valor, you go and save them. And I don't hear it. I can't. No, you can't be talking about me. I'm weak. I'm of the weakest clan of my of the tribe and weakest member of the family. You can't be mean to me. I can't hear that. Let me tell you what, folks. God can speak some things to you that you cannot hear. But your inability to hear it does not mean you don't need it. And your lack of getting that understanding is what's keeping you back. He will speak the things to you that you need. He will tell you what you need to get past where you are. But we won't hear it. No, no, that's not it. No. No. There's a story that um, Brother Hagin used to tell us. It occurred somewhere around the time I was going to school. And there was a, an individual. I think he was, it happened before I had gotten there. But there was an individual... And during one of the services, during one of the meetings, Brother Hagin told us later on, he said he saw this cloud that was hanging over this one Raymond student. Raymond student, sitting in the Word every day, learning the, the things of God. Cloud that hung over him. And he said he knew by the Spirit of God that this, this person was on the path of death and he was going to die. But he also knew by the Spirit of God what he needed to say to him. And if he listened, he would get out of it. And so during the meeting, he called the man out. And he says, you need to come talk to me. The Lord has some things for me to tell you. And so the next day, the student body was asking him, did you talk with Brother Hagin? No, I didn't do that yet. Could you imagine having Brother Hagin come up to you and say, you need to come talk to me. And now you have permission to go to his door, knock on the door, be greeted by the secretary, 
secretary say yes? Uh, Brother Hagin said he wanted to meet with me. And be able to go into his office, sit on down, and have a chat. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. He had an open invitation to do it. Didn't take it. Next day, student body kept getting on him. Did you meet with Brother Hagin yet? No. No, I didn't do that yet. No. I'll get to it. And he never did. And one day, his roommate woke up and he wasn't awake. And he went on in and found out he was dead. He died. Brother Hagin told us afterwards, he said, it didn't have to happen that way. I knew what he had to fix. I knew what he had to straighten out. And that death cloud that was hanging over him would have gone. But he didn't listen. When you are in the land of frustration, you can even put on there the land of discouragement. Faith is like another language. You can't hear it. It's spoken around you. It's words you should understand. But you're just like Gideon. God speaks to you and emphasizes the word you need to hear and you don't hear it. If the Lord is with us, no, I didn't say that. I said the Lord is with you. But we're not hearing the thing. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? You imagine the Lord telling you, if you go and you do this, you will save them. If you go now in this might of yours, and you do this, you will save them. You imagine the Lord telling you, if you go out there and start this business, it will succeed. Well, yeah, but I don't know if I should do it. It might fail. If the Lord was to come to you and say, if you start this business, you will succeed. Well, I don't know. If you take this job, you will soar in that company. Yeah, but I don't know. If you walk out in that calling that I have put in your life, you will succeed. Yeah, but I'm afraid to. <laughs> come on, no matter what it is that you do, all kinds of things are out there. If the Lord is speaking to us and if the Lord tells us we can't hear it because I'm in a land of frustration. I'm in a land of discouragement. I'm like, I'm over there with Gideon. Verse 17, Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, Dear Lord, is this man dense? The Lord Jesus Christ himself has shown up in your wine press and is talking with you and telling you very encouraging things and is calling you a man of valor, telling you that you'll go and save Israel with this might of yours. And then you say, if now I have found favor, wake up, man. He doesn't do this with everybody. He's doing it with you. Can you see how hard it is for people that are in the land of frustration to hear what they need to hear? They hear it their own way. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Well, who do you think it is? <laughs> That'd be like, you know, my wife saying something to me one morning. And I would say to her, well, show me a sign that this is really you saying this. I really want to know that it's you. Show me a sign. Who's that comedian who does those things? Here's your sign. Maybe we need to have a, a sign here for Gideon. Maybe this is uh, Gideon's call. Here's your sign. I'm stupid. He's just frustrated. He's discouraged. He cannot hear the things that God is saying. We can laugh at Gideon. But oh me sometimes, right? Sometimes it's us. If now 
I have found favor in your sight. Then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. I put this in your outline. Frustration is like a filter that keeps you from seeing what is really true. Frustration is like a filter that keeps you from seeing what is really true. Among the, the hobbies that I picked up when I was growing up, one of them was photography. And one of the things that interested me the most about photography was the world of filters. I love filters. Because with filters on an SLR camera, you could create a picture that does not exist. You could create a sunset on a foggy morning in the middle of the afternoon with filters. You could get the pink hue in the sky. You could get the fog from a mist filter. You could dim the whole shot so that the light was cut down. You could change the way the reflections happen. And you could create what looks like a sunset in the middle of the afternoon. Oh, it's fun what you can do with the, with the filters and what you, could, what you can create from it. I had one filter that was especially neat. If you put this filter out there, you could create what looks like a body of water in front of anything you wanted to. I could put a building and make it to be a lakefront building simply by using this one filter. Oh, I had fun with that. And people were saying, how did you do that? There's a lake. There's no lake in front of this building. But it sure looked like there was. And you can combine filters. You could put a lake in front of it, bring in the mist, bring in the sunset. Oh, man, you could have some fun. You could create stuff that does not exist because of filters. They're extremely powerful. And some of them, I mean, I just dabbled with the with the cheaper ones, you could get into some expensive ones that, oh my, the things that they did. The things that they would alter. The things that they would change was remarkable. Frustration is like a filter that keeps you from seeing what is really true. Gideon is seeing life through a filter. And anything that is in faith is filtered out. Anything that is in faith is filtered out. One of the most powerful filters in the world of photography is one called a polarizing filter. With a polarizing filter, you can do a host of things. You can buy a secondary filter. They would call it a red-blue uh, red filter. And if you put that red-blue filter in front of the polarizing filter, all you had to do was turn the polarizing filter, filter and the scene would go from blue to purple to red and every shade in between. If you took that polarizing filter, it would knock out, just by itself, it would knock out every reflection. Have you ever taken a picture through a glass and you see the flash and you see the reflection and you can't see what's on the other side of the glass? It's because you couldn't put a polarizing filter in front of yours. A polarizing filter cannot be used on most cameras. It has to be a certain type of camera because you have to play with the, the polarizer and you have to change it. But you can turn it in such a way that all reflection on the glass is gone. And you can see right through it. It filters it out. It's still there. But the filter took it away so that you can see through the glass 
perfectly clear. But you see, when you don't have the right filters on and you have the filter of frustration and discouragement on, you can't see the things that God is saying. Your eyes are covered. Remember in the Word of God that uh, Paul talked about how the God of this world has blinded their eyes? They're still seeing things, but they're not seeing the right things. Well, let's go on. For Gideon and for us, frustration keeps us or keep, keeps his faith from hearing, seeing, and acting. For Gideon, and understand this is for us as well, frustration keeps his faith from hearing, from seeing, and from acting. Your faith is prevented from seeing what God wants you to see, from hearing what God says to you, and from acting on the things that God says in a way that is faith because of that frustration that is there. But keeps doubt and unbelief strong and true. Frustration will keep doubt and unbelief strong and true, but filter out everything that has to do with faith. When you are fully engrossed in the world of frustration, people all around you can speak all kinds of words of faith and you not hear a word of it. It will go right through you. And you won't know that you didn't hear it because you didn't hear it. You ever see those whistles you used to have with the dogs? Dog whistles. You know, you blow the whistle and the dogs are supposed to come running. And I don't know if they ever did, but... You know, you blow the whistle and the dogs come barking. You see the commercial, you know, they got thousands of dogs chasing after them because they're blowing this whistle. But you don't hear anything out of it. That doesn't mean there's no sound. It just means you don't hear it. Verse 19, So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and an ephah of flour. The meat he had put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff with his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. How many are doing a little bit more than perceiving at this point? <laughs> he perceived. This is how thick you can get. Now most people, when they were in the presence of the angel of the Lord, recognized it. Gideon is totally blind to it because he's got a filter on. He can't hear the things. He can't see it. Remember when Jesus, after he was rose from the dead, and he came out and talked to the people on the road, and they couldn't tell that it was Jesus? And he was, they were talking, and he was t taking them through the scriptures and showed them how the Messiah had to suffer all these things at the hands of men and be killed and buried for three days and then risen. And it's like it's all new stuff to them, even though Jesus had taught it to them before. And he got into the room with them, and then all of a sudden he allowed that, to, that filter to be removed, and then they saw it was Jesus. And they even said, did not our hearts burn within us? <laughs> but they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. After the fire comes down, then Gideon perceives that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. 
So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still an Ophrah of the Abizrites. Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, and uh, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt off sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Is he hearing what the Lord said? You mighty man of valor. No, he's not hearing that still. So he did it by night. But at least he did it. That's good. And when the men of the city... God didn't say when you had to do it. He just said do it. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning and there was the altar of Baal torn down and the woman image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? When they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Well, he only took ten guys with him. He did it at night. The only way people are going to know is if one of those ten guys went out there and told somebody. Because Gideon sure didn't tell anybody. He's afraid. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day he called him Jerobel, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Is that a good thing to be saying? I think we ought to drop out the if. Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let my test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it not be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only. But there was dew on all the ground. Now people have taken this word from here and they've put fleeces before God. I may have ever heard people teach you to put fleeces before God. Don't ever do that. Your example here is Gideon. That should tell you all you need to know. God has never called us to put fleeces before Him. The fleece here was put before God. It was not God's idea. It was Gideon's idea. He did it one time where the dew would fall just on the fleece and the, the fleece would be wet, but the ground would be dry. And so God did it and it happened. How many of you, if you put a fleece out there and the fleece was wet and everything else is dry, you're saying, wow. You know what Gideon said? 
it may have been a just dude here. How many of you would think that? I mean, just localized dude right here in this one little two-foot area. Just on, and it just stopped right at the edge of the of the fleece, right at the edge, stopped. They said, "Well, you know, I might might have just dude in this one area, so let's just make sure." Let me do it one more time, and let's have it do everywhere else except here, because that's better. That'll really tell me. And so we did that, and God went through with it, and it dude every place all around except right there on that little fleece that was there. And so then he knew, and then he went off. But you know what? It didn't work because he gets down to the camp. He's got his 300 men. And the Lord says to him, if you're still doubting, head on down to the camp. I've got a surprise for you. So he was still doubting. After two places, headed on down to the camp. And the, the two people were saying, I had a dream. And he gave about what the dream was. And the man said, well, that's nothing less than the army of Gideon coming down and slaughtering us. And he knew it was God and went on back up there and got with the men. Fleeces will not convince you that it's the will of God. Fleeces will lead you astray. Because a lot of times people put this stuff out there and it doesn't happen or it does happen. You know, people are out there say, all right, well, if seven red cars go in front of me, then I'll know. No. The Word of God teaches us to be led by the Spirit of God. To be led by His Word. Not by cars. Not by do. And anything else that you can come up with. That's not how God leads us. Do not put a fleece before the Lord. This is not teaching you to do that. This is Gideon. This is a very weak person. This is a person who cannot hear the words of faith because he's in the land of frustration. He's not hearing anything. Don't follow after Gideon's example. Don't follow after Gideon's example. It is a bad example. Put this in your outline. There are three responses, and I actually have it a little bit differently in my outline. Your outline, it says there are three responses to an opportunity. Three responses to an opportunity. An opportunity is this. And this is why we started off with the juggling bit. In life, there are a certain amount of things that you are to handle. And we all know that. You've got some things that you're to, you are handling in life. You've got a job. You've got a certain amount of responsibilities at that job. You have a home. You have so many responsibilities in that home. And the list goes on and on. You have a number of responsibilities that are there. When you are at work and you are given three or four responsibilities and you handle them well, what do they usually come up with? It seems like you can handle more. And so they give you more responsibility. And they, they want to put more upon you. And you take that on. And this is good. Because the more invaluable you make yourself than to anyone else, it's, it's a good thing. Take on the opportunity. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm not getting paid for this. Get paid to be there. Work hard. Give it your all. And put everything out to it that you, that you can. I tell you my days over at Ken's Pizza, I love working at Ken's Pizza. Because when I first started working there, I have never, up to that point, I had never worked with so many people who liked to work. I had never worked with so many people that liked to work. I mean, they liked to work. They got in there. And I'll tell you what, those guys, I mean, we, have, we, we had a couple of lazy people, but they were well overshadowed by the, the people. Who, we had people who could run a make table like nobody's business. People who could run an oven 
Like, oh, and people could take orders and, and manage the register and stuff like that. And it just got to be contagious and we'd encourage each other and we'd push each other. We got to the point, I, they, they trained me up on how to do the ovens. I got to the point where, like them, they were my example, I could run the ovens, answer the phone, run the register, cut the pizzas, put them in the box, and sometimes even take pizzas out to the, to the, to help the, the uh, waitresses out. And it was fun because the more they throw at you, the more excited you got. It's like, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. And you get excited like, come on, try and put something else on me. And this attitude was rewarded because the people who had that attitude were paid well. Now, it was paid well by restaurant standards. I understand, you know, it's, we're not getting rich here. You know, they give you a 50 cent raise or something like that. But for us, it was good. God is putting opportunities, as we were talking about in the last couple of weeks. He's putting opportunities there. If you can handle one, he's, he's going to give you two. If you can take the two and handle that, He's going to give you more. If you can take the five and you can handle that, then He's going to give you more. Because he who is faithful with much or little will be faithful with much. And to him who has more will be given. That's what God says. Him who has, more will be given. Now, there are three responses to opportunity. But I put it this way in mind because I had a little bit more room. There are three responses to an abundance of opportunity. Frustration, folks, is generally our response when we have too much opportunity. I'll say that again. Frustration is generally our response when we have too much opportunity. When you're over at work and they give you the opportunity to work on these reports and they give you the opportunity to work on this computer program and they give you the opportunity to learn this language and to handle these calls, after a while, do you hit a limit? And then you get, fresh, that's your limit. That's as much as you can handle. In other words, you move, move from a three-ball juggler to a four-ball juggler. But how do you go to a five-ball juggler? At one point, you have to take on more than you can handle. When that guy we saw in the beginning here was juggling those, those uh, nine balls and rings and things like that, you have to know at one point he was handling five and he took on number six. And when you first take on number six, it, it, you get a little tense because I haven't been out this way before. And then you take on seven and then... He got some, somehow he got the idea that I can bounce a ball in my head while I'm doing the nine. And then you think, well, that's enough. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> remarkable thing. But now I can bounce the ball in my head, do the nine and turn around. Because every time he thinks of something else he can do during that act, he's getting excited about it. When you get to the point where more opportunity is given and you get frustrated, that's your limit. It's your limit right now. You can either expand that limit or you cannot. So three opportunities, three responses to opportunity or an abundance of opportunity. One, you can get frustrated and contract, get smaller. You can get frustrated, which is what a lot of us do, and get smaller because you'll handle less. If you're frustrated, you're not doing a whole lot with it. Remember the guy who had one? He's frustrated because you are a man who sows where you haven't sown and, or reaps where you Heaven's sown, all that sort of stuff. He had a wrong idea, but even still, he got frustrated. And so, all right, you can't handle the one. You're frustrated. Let's take it away. He got less. 
you can get satisfied and resist. How many of you ever hit a level at work and you just say, I'm satisfied here. Don't give me any more. I don't want any more responsibility. I am happy here. Just let me wash dishes. Just let me punch in the numbers. Just let me answer the phone. Whatever your thing is that you're doing, this is it. I don't want to go anymore. I am satisfied. And I resist anyone putting anything more on me. Because... I may have been frustrated, but now suddenly I become satisfied. I am happy right here. Yep, you stay right here in this area. I don't want no more. I can get frustrated and contract. I can get satisfied and resist. Or I can get excited and expand. Three responses. You can get frustrated and contract. You can get satisfied and resist. Or you can get excited and expand. Anyone can get frustrated and quit. Anyone can do that. Anyone can get discouraged and give up and not try. Anybody can do that. It does not take any special talent to do that. God looks for those who get excited and take on what others see as impossible. Want some examples? David and Goliath. Everyone else got discouraged frustrated that they were in the situation. And David got excited. Was there anyone else beside David who got excited about the opportunity? What did David keep going around asking? What will happen to the man who kills this guy? He's getting excited about the opportunity. Everyone else is getting frustrated and discouraged. He's getting excited. Who's the man in faith? David. Because <laughs> he's excited. Hey, but Daniel, when the dream was given, we got the wise men that are getting frustrated and discouraged because no king has ever asked his wise men to tell them the dream and the interpretation. And David rises up and says, why is everybody, why are we in such a rush to kill all the wise guys? Well, you know, he gives them the story. Wait, you just tell the king to wait. I see an opportunity here. I'm excited. And you just tell the king to wait. I'll have the answer for him tomorrow. Abraham had an opportunity to have a baby when everyone else said it was impossible. He eventually got to the place where he was excited about that. Excited in faith. And the list can go on and on and on. I can tell you people who got discouraged and quit and people who got excited and went on. But here's the thing. When an abundance of opportunity presents itself, you can get frustrated and contract. Take on less. You can get satisfied and resist taking on anything more. Or you can get excited and expand. In the area where you serve God, in the area where you walk around with God, opportunities are going to find you. If you dig into the Word of God and you keep getting more Word, people are going to come to you asking about the Word of God that's in you. And you can get frustrated at that. Or you can get excited. It's your response. People can find out that if you pray for people, people get healed. And more people may come. You can get frustrated. You can get satisfied. You say, you know what? I'm, I'm happy just praying for myself. Or you can get excited. Seek after the opportunities. It's up to you. It's your response. But when you feel frustration coming on the inside of you, 
instead of excitement, what it's telling you is, this is the level that I've grown to. I have the opportunity now. I can grow past it. Or I can stay here. I can grow past it. Or I can stay here. For you folks who work with the little kids, you folks who work with the little kids, the folks are always pushing you further and further and further. You put somebody who hasn't worked with little kids in with little kids, and our threshold is a lot less. Yours has grown. You put a person in any situation where they have learned to take the frustration that couldn't materialize. Seek after the opportunities and take on more. Become like the juggler who's juggling nine balls, bouncing a ball, and twirling around. And we look at it and we are amazed. How can anyone possibly do that? We look at guys like Paul and we look at what he was doing in life. How does anybody get to that place? We look at Peter. And Peter had walked in such a place with the anointing of God that if he just walked by and his shadow touched somebody, people got healed. How did he get to that place? Because when opportunity came, he decided, all right, I'm getting a little frustrated here. But this is where I can learn to expand what I can take on. And I can take on some more. And if I can learn to take on some more, then God can give me some more. You want to get God's attention? Be a person who can take on more. That gets God's attention. Gideon was a person who could take on more than he was doing. And God saw it, came on down and woke it up on the inside of him. God will come down to us and speak to us and help us, wake us up that you can take on more than you have. It's out there. It's an opportunity. Get excited. So a whole ton of people around David didn't get excited about the opportunity, but David did. A whole bunch of people who were around Daniel didn't get excited about the opportunity, but Daniel did. What are the opportunities that are around? Are there an abundance of them? If there are, listen to God. He'll help us take them on and to grow with them. Would you all stand up with me?